Chapter Twenty Seven of In the Schoolroom. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrea K. In the Schoolroom by John S. Hart. Chapter Twenty Seven Gaining the Attention. The teacher who fails to get the attention of his scholars fails totally. The pupils may perhaps learn something, because they may give the lesson some study at home under the direction of their parents. But they learn nothing from the teacher. He is really no teacher, though he may occupy the teacher's seat. There is, and there can be, no teaching where the attention of the scholar is not secured. Gaining the attention is an indispensable condition to the thing called teaching, not, however, the only indispensable thing. We have seen a class wrought by special tricks and devices to the highest pitch of excited attention, fairly panting with eagerness, all eyes and ears, on the very tiptoe of aroused mental activity, yet learning nothing. The teacher had the knack of stirring them up and lashing them into a half-frenzy of excited expectation, without having any substantial knowledge wherewith to reward their eagerness. With all his one-sided skill, he was but a mountebank. To real successful teaching, there must be these two things, namely, the ability to hold the minds of the children, and the ability to pour into the minds thus presented sound and seasonable instruction. Lacking the latter ability, your pupil goes away with his vessel unfilled. Lacking the former, you only pour water upon the ground. How shall the teacher secure attention? In the first place, let him make up his mind that he will have it. This is half the battle. Let him settle it with himself that until he does this, he is doing nothing, that without the attention of his scholars, he is no more a teacher than is the chair he occupies. If he is not plus, he is zero, if not actually minus. With this truth fully realized, he will come before his class resolved to have a hearing, and this very resolution, written as it will be all over him, will have its effect upon his scholars. Children are quick to discern the mental attitude of a teacher. They know, as if by instinct, whether he is in earnest or not, and in all ordinary cases they yield without dispute to a claim thus resolutely put. This, then, is the first duty of the teacher in this matter. He must go to his class with the resolute determination of making every scholar feel his presence all the time. The moment any scholar shows that the consciousness of his teacher's presence is not on his mind as a restraining power, something is wrong. The first step towards producing that consciousness as an abiding influence on the minds of the scholars is for the teacher to determine in his own mind and bring it about. Without being arrogant, without being dictatorial, without being or doing anything that is disagreeable or unbecoming, he must yet make up his mind to put forth in the class a distinct power of self-assertion. He must determine to make them feel that he is there, that he is there all the time, that he is there to every one of them. In the next place, the teacher must not disappoint the attention which his manner has challenged. 
he must have something valuable to communicate to the expectant minds before him he must be thoroughly prepared in the lesson so that the pupils shall feel that they are learning from him his lips must keep knowledge the human heart thirsts for knowledge this is one of its natural instincts it is indeed often much perverted and many are to be found who even show aversion to being instructed yet the normal condition of things is otherwise and nothing is more common than to see children hanging with fondness around any one who has something to tell them let the teacher then be sure to have something to say as well as determined to say it in the third place the teacher must have his knowledge perfectly at command it must be on the tip of his tongue if he hesitates and stops to think or to look in his book for the purpose of hunting up what he has to tell them he will be very apt to lose his chance teaching children particularly young children is like shooting birds on the wing the moment your bird is in sight you must fire the moment you have the child's eye be ready to speak this readiness of utterance is a matter to be cultivated the ripest scholars are often sadly deficient in it the very habit of profound study is apt to induce the opposite quality to readiness a teacher who is conscious of this defect must resolutely set himself to resist it and overcome it he can do so if he will but it requires resolution and practice in the fourth place the teacher must place himself so that every pupil in the class is within the range of his vision it is not uncommon to see a teacher pressing close up to the scholars in the centre of the class so that those at the right and left ends are out of his sight or if he turns his face to those on one side he at the same time turns his back to those on the other always sit or stand where you can all the while see the face of every pupil i have hundreds of times seen the whole character of the instruction and discipline of a class changed by the observance of this simple rule another rule is to use your eyes quite as much as your tongue if you want your class to look at you you must look at them the eye has a magic power it wins it fascinates it guides it rewards it punishes it controls you must learn how to see every child all the time some teachers seem to be able to see only one scholar at a time this will never do while you are giving this absorbed undivided attention to one all the rest are running wild neither will it do for the teacher to be looking about much to see what is going on among the other classes in the room your scholar's eyes will be very apt to follow yours you are the engineer they are the passengers if you run off the track they must do likewise nor must your eye be occupied with the book hunting up question and answer nor drop to the floor in excessive modesty all the power of seeing that you have is needed for looking earnestly lovingly without interruption into the faces and eyes of your pupils but for the observance of this rule another is indispensable you must learn to teach without book perhaps you cannot do this absolutely but the nearer you can approach to it the better thorough preparation of course is the secret of this power some teachers think they have prepared a lesson when they have gone over it once and studied out all the answers 
there could not be a greater mistake. This is only the first step in the preparation. You might as well think that you have learned the multiplication table and are prepared to teach it when you have gone over it once and seen by actual count that the figures are all right and you know where to put your finger on them when required. You are prepared to teach a lesson when you have all the facts and ideas in it at your tongue's end so that you can go through them all in proper order without once referring to the book. Any preparation short of this will not do if you want to command attention. Once prepare a lesson in this way, and it will give you such freedom in the art of teaching, and you will experience such a pleasure in it, that you will never want to relapse into the old indolent habit. End of chapter 27 Recording by Andrea Kay